Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 14. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 14. We're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of David. And of course, David was the king after God's own heart, whereas Saul is in comparison was a king after the people's own heart. And at this time, the King Saul has reigned about two years and he's been having a thorn in his side by the name of the Philistines. And the Philistines, of course, had been a troublesome people for a little while now that if you remember that in the period of the judges, that it was during Samson and Samuel's times of being judges that they continued to contend with the Philistines. And now, years later, as King Saul is now in charge, he is once again dealing with the Philistines. And we can see that they're in dire straits. But Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan has some character about him. Jonathan has some faith. Jonathan has some bravery. Jonathan has some qualities that God is going to use even in the midst of a couple of trials. And Jonathan is going to face a couple of trials. One a trial that he's going to face here is the Philistine army, of course. But then he's also going to have the trial of authority. And if you don't mind, let's take our copies of the Word of God and look with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 14. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 14. Notice with me in chapter 14 in verse 1. 1 Samuel 14 verse 1, the Bible says this. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree which is in Migran. And the people that were with him were about six hundred men. And Echiah the son of Ahutub, or Hitub, Ichabob's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest, uh, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side, and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other was Sinna. And forefront over one was a uh, situate northward to over against Michmash, and the other southward against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. And if they say unto us, Tarry until we come unto you, 
Then we will stand in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say, come up unto us, then we will go up for the Lord had delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews cometh forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and to his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up up. Upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And that the first slaughter which made Jonathan and his armor bearer made were about twenty men within, as it were, a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, and the field, and among all the people, and the garrison, and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then Saul's <laughs> then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now, and see who was gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at the time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while the Saul talked to the priests, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thy hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they went out to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time went up from them in the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they had heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over to beth -Avon. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And all they of the land came into a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man uh, put his hand to his mouth. For the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore he put forth the end of his rod that was in his hand. And dipped it in the honeycomb. And put his hand to his mouth. And his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said. Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath. Saying cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father had troubled the land. See, I pray you how my eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more of happily the people had eaten freely to today of the spoil of their enemies which they now found. For there had not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajanon. And the people were very faint. 
And the people flew upon the spoil and took the sheep and the oxen and the calves and slew them on the ground and the people did eat them with the blood. And they told Saul saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord in that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say, Bring me hither every man his ox and every man his sheep and slay them here. And eat and sin not against the Lord in eating the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, let us draw near hither unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him not that day. And Saul said, draw near hither all ye the chief of the people, and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among the people that answered him. Then said he unto all Israel, Be ye on one side, and I and my Jonathan will be on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, Doeth what seemeth good to thee. Therefore Saul said unto the, to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Jonathan, or Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Jonathan said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of my rod that was in my hand, and lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do more, and so also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. For the, so the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. Then Saul went up following the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. <coughs> so Jonathan, excuse me, and if you're in the habit of marking titles down, we're not going to underline something specifically here, but we're going to title this message here, Jonathan's Victory. Jonathan's victory. And with the Lord's help, we want to see Jonathan getting victory in two specific areas that he was challenged with as we're introduced to this young man who was Saul's son, this man named Jonathan, Jonathan's victory. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we now work our way through this passage, a lot of exciting things going on. I'm asking that you would help us to get the story in our mind and see the things going on. But also see the emphasis where you place and the, the principles that you're trying to get across in this passage. That we may apply it to our own self. That we may have victories within our own lives. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we examine Jonathan's victory, we have to put up the context. Saul has been reigning for two years 
And the enemy of the Philistines have already been plaguing them. If you don't mind, let's backtrack just a little bit in chapter number 13. 1 Samuel chapter number 13. And I quickly want to just show you how horrible things are for the the Israelites here. Notice with me in 1 Samuel 13, or 13, starting at verse 15. If you remember, they moved the capital city to Gilgal. Saul had um, disobeyed the commandment, did not wait for Samuel. But after this, Samuel and uh, Saul prepared to go. Verse number 15, and Samuel arose and got him from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. So we could see Saul's army now included just 600 men. That's a big army for a country. Probably not one you're going to win a lot of victories with. So what happened to everyone else? Verse 16. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with him, abode in Gibeah and Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines of the three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Orpha and the land of Shuel. Another company to the way, and it goes on. And verse number 19 is where I want your attention at. Now there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and the, for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes to sharpen the golds. So it came to, day, to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any men that was with Saul or Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan and his son there were found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. Now, if you remember earlier in chapter 13, the Philistines arose and the people were scared. So much so that the people started to go in caves, thickets, valleys, holes. They were doing everything they can to hide from the Philistines. They said, this is not going to be good. The Philistines are provoked. We poke the bear. They're going to be uh, after us. So everyone hid. Saul now has an army of 600 people. And out of all those 600 people... Only two people have swords. Looks like a great battle plan, right? Everyone else has sharpened sticks. They don't have any smiths. So uh, the Philistines had banned any smiths. So they couldn't do any iron work. So they just had to get their pitchforks sharpened. They had to kind of sharpen it down to points. They had sticks. Uh, and so this is not an army that is prepared to win anything. Everyone else is in hiding. The Philistines are looming large. Remember before we described that they had all those chariots. They had 6,000 horsemen. And they had enough people as the sand of the sea. And Saul's army is now 600 people. Sounds like a good place to be in, right? So we can see right now the oppression of the people. That they're not in a good place. But then we see this. Jonathan's lone victory. Jonathan's lone victory. Remember Jonathan's one of the few people that has a sword. And beside him he has his armor bearer. Now things work a little bit different in warfare back then than today. Back then you would, uh, a, a brave soldier would have an armor bearer. And basically his job was to carry the shield. And so whenever someone would attack Jonathan, the armor bearer would pretty much try to deflect the blows Why Jonathan would just use the sword to cut someone open. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer are in camp. Saul's by the pomegranate tree. There's only 600 people. And Jonathan says, you know what? 
there's some Philistines over there in the valley. Think we could take them? Armor bearer says, wherever you go, I'll follow. You sure? So they sneak down, just the two of them. And they sneak down into a passage of rocks. And they peek their heads over and says, you know what? There's only a couple of them. We could take them. And the armor bearer says, what's ever in your heart to do? Let's do it. Jonathan says, let's do this. All right. So we'll go out and we'll make ourselves discoverable. You know, basically come out with your hands up type thing. And um, if they say go away, then we'll leave them alone. But if they say come here, we know that God's got a victory. So they wait behind the rocks. They watch the patrols. You can almost imagine the desert scene, almost like a spaghetti western, right? They're hiding in the rocks and they're looking at each other, waiting for the bad guys to pass. They're waiting for the route to go. Finally, they poke their heads out and says, all right. And the Philistine says, hey, there's some of those Hebrews. Some of them popped out of their hole. All right, come here. We'll show you something. Jonathan says, that's all we needed to know. And so he took his sword, the armor bearer went, and in about a space of a half an acre, Jonathan killed 20 of them all by himself. He just went to town, not a big space, and just knocked them out. Now, that's not, doesn't sound like it's much, but remember, it's just two people. And so the Philistines know that the Israelites don't have any weapons. They also know that the Israelites are hiding in caves and holes and everywhere else. So when the Philistines come by and they're moseying on their way and they see 20 dead people, well, who killed these 20 dead people? We would have heard it if an army came. They didn't realize that Jonathan was special ops. And so these 20 people are here. You know what? The Philistines started blaming each other. So notice if you don't mind, let's kind of pick it up in story. Uh, in verse number 11. And both of them discovered themselves upon the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews cometh forth out of their holes where they hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made were about twenty, as it were, half an acre of land, which the yoke of oxen may plow. Now with this, Jonathan did his part. Now I want to show you something else. The Lord's delivery of the people. The Lord's delivery of the people. Now, as Jonathan and his armor bearer start heading back, the Philistines look and see these dead people. And so they start blaming other Philistines. And there's a big confusion. Notice with me in verse 15. And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. And so what happened is that the Philistines saying, what's going on here? And the earth starts quaking, and they said, oh no, something's happened. And in the confusion, the Philistines start fighting each other. And they start beating each other up, and they're making a big noise as they're fighting each other. And so Saul, who's hiding in the gate, says, hey guys, watchmen, What's going on? And so they look up and they said, hey, they're fighting each other. What's this? They're, 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 
beating each other up. Verse 16. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they were beating down one another. And then said Saul, the people that were with him, number now and see who's gone with us. And so they quickly counted, and they said, everyone's here but Saul and Jonathan. They didn't think that Saul and Jonathan were enough of a force to cause the fighting. So they said, they must be fighting with each other. We're all here. Something else must have been going on. And verse number 18. And Saul said to Ahiah, who is the high priest now, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. Now again, <laughs> they should have learned their lesson from way back in the day, but they brought the ark of God kind of as moral support, as a good luck charm. And so Saul said, you know what, maybe it's probably time to talk to the high priest and see if I could find out what God wants. And we're going to see a mistake that he makes that's going to come back here in just a bit. And verse number uh, 19, and it came to pass while Saul talked to the priest that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said to the priest, withdraw thy hand. So basically Saul says, all right, priest, Let's ask God a question. And at that time, the roar of the crowd got worse. And he said, never mind. We won't look for God. Let's go take care of business now. And so Saul goes without asking God anything. And he tells the people, let's charge. Let's go. And next thing you know, <coughs> verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves. And they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Now again, they marched to battle, and as they're marching to battle, they're watching the Philistines fight each other. Verse 21, moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which came up in the camp and the country after them, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. So what's, here's what happened. Saul and Jonathan, Saul's army... Is 600 people. They're marching down to the Philistines who are fighting each other. Now during this time there was some Hebrews that maybe they joined the other side. They were traitors. They didn't want to die. So here I'll help you win. Maybe there were some that were taken as slaves. Some that were servants. But when they saw the fighting and they saw King Saul coming. They all turned on their Philistine masters. And started to kill their Philistine masters. And put a jailbreak. And they started to attack within. On top of that. Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel that hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they followed after them in the battle. So here's this guy who's been hiding in a cave for weeks now. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. He hears the Philistines are running. He jumps out of his little cave with his little stick, and he goes to go fight them. So what's happening is that God is getting a great victory against people with pointy sticks, against this great army. God's getting a great victory at this time, isn't it? He's just marching to town. God's delivering the people. He's preparing them. And verse number uh, 23, And so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over to Beth Haven. So what we have here is Jonathan and his armor bearer said, Hey man, I bet you we could go take some guys. And so they special forces sneak in, have a plan. They kill 20 people. There's an earthquake. The Philistines fall on these guys. There's confusion. The Philistines start fighting each other. And in the midst of this, Saul and grabs his army and they march down. And, the Phil and Hebrews start popping up everywhere else to fight the Philistines. What a great battle. Only God could have put it together. 
But then we come to something unfortunate. And we come to another thing we see here. Authority's unfortunate rule. Now Jonathan has already been used to get a great victory. But now something else comes up to challenge this. Authority's unfortunate rule. Now Saul, as you're going to learn later on in this book, is very impulsive, very gruff, very um, impulsive, very emotional. If you want to say there's a, a word to describe Saul, probably emotional would be a good one. Very much goes off emotions. So he sees all the army and he says, all right, guys, no food. Don't taste any food. Now, I'm sure that in his mind, he was thinking, well, let's not take a lunch break. The Philistines are over there. If we take and cook our supper and cook lunch, we're going to waste time when we can go fighting them. But his order was not ordered very well. And he said, no one will taste anything. I don't want any wasted time. Don't you take a break. Don't take a baloney sandwich break. Don't you take a little popcorn break. Nope. Nobody eat anything. We're going to crush them. I'm going to show them who's boss. We're going to crush my enemies. Well, the people's obeying. But I don't know if you realize this, but your body has to, to burn fuel. Now, if you're going to fast, there's a proper way of leading up to the fast. And there's proper things to do during the fast. But you are not going to go do big physical activity not eating. Could you imagine a professional sports team, whether it's basketball or hockey or, or football, and said, all right, football team, in order to beat the other team, no one's going to eat anything for 24 hours. How do you think they're going to prepare? Do you think they're going to do their best? Do you think they might have enough strength to get the job done when it gets tough? Probably not. So there's a practicality here. But nope, Saul's impulsive. Nobody's going to touch any food. We're going to win the battle and you're going to do it without food. Okay, boss. And so they do. They see people toppled. They go ahead and start um, beating people and they win the great victory. But now they're taking a little break as they're preparing to go chase the army some more. And there's a lull in action and they're in the woods. And inside of the woods, there's honeycombs that have fallen from the tree. And they're broken open and you could see the honey oozing out. Now, how would you be if you haven't eaten all day and you've done a lot of physical activity and you're looking at that honey and you'd imagine there's probably a lot of people with some tummy issues right now kind of grumbling and letting you know that it's not very happy. But no one... The king said, so we're going to obey the king. Now, Jonathan finally catches back up to the group. And he hasn't eaten all day. And he hasn't heard the rule from uh, Saul. So that's an important thing to note. He did not hear the rule. He just marches back up. Hey, guys, how you doing, man? This has been great. Can you imagine what happened? He takes his staff, puts it into a honeycomb, dips it out, which is probably the safest way if you're going to go into a honeycomb, probably not with your hands with the bees, but takes the staff, dicks it in, takes some off and eats some. And as he's eating, people are like, what are you doing? What do you mean what I'm doing? I'm hungry. It's plenty of honey. The king said nobody could touch any food. Jonathan goes for a second and says, what? Don't you understand that if we had something to eat, we could have been a, done even a better victory. We could have beaten more people. We would have had the strength. And he says, this isn't going to turn out well, but that's fine. The boss made the ruling. I'm not going to eat anymore either. Let's go. And so the battle carries on. So they march through the woods and they come to another city. 
But after a while, burning so many calories, your stomach takes control. How many of you know that your stomach takes control and you have a midnight snack and wonder, sleepwalk to the refrigerator? I mean, there's sometimes that your, your, your stomach takes over. So they fight the battle and they continue to go on. And notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 31. And they smote the Philistines from that day from Michmash to uh, Ajalon. And the people were faint, meaning they were ready to quit. They're tired, they're, they're drained, their strength is sapped out. Verse 32, and the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. Now here's this, their stomach took over. They're now in a frenzied state. They kill all the enemy and left behind is the sheep and the oxen, and the cows. And the people didn't wait. They just mold them over like a bunch of zombies and just started just eating away without cooking them. They just cut them up and just started grabbing meat. Now, which is a big deal because the Bible talks about in the Levitical law, do not eat the blood. Do not eat the blood. Well, because of human nature, survival kicks in and the people weren't thinking. They just drove right in and just started devouring and eating these animals. Now it's a big deal, especially since they go tell King Saul and says, Saul, you know what these people are doing? They're just out there just eating. They're disobeying your command, but they're eating the blood. They're disobeying God. And Saul says, "Uh oh, that's not good. And he orders for cows and sheep to be brought in and to cook and for people to eat them and not eat the blood. He tries to fix things now. But the damage has already been done. And so now we go not only to Jonathan getting a victory and we see God getting a great victory. We also see this unfortunate a rule that is made. But now we come to something as we put a, a spotlight on Saul now. And we see Saul's lack of seeking God. Saul's lack of seeking God. Notice if you don't mind. As we now pick it back up. In verse number 32. <laughs> and the people flew upon the spoil. And took the sheep and the oxen and the calves. And slew on them in the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. And they told Saul saying. Behold the people sinned against the Lord. And that they eat the blood. Eat with the blood. And he said ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. Which is their vernacular saying, oh man, you, you've crushed me. You've disappointed me. You, you've messed up and, and you hurt me. Verse number 34. And Saul said, disperse yourself among the people. And they order people to eat the ox and, and cook the food. Verse 35 is where I now want to put our attention on. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. Now Saul has been king for two years. And for two years he's never built an altar. Now what is this talking about? An altar was a special place that a person would build to represent them approaching God. That anytime someone wanted to get a hold of God, they built an altar. Anytime that God did something special to them and they wanted to be with God and thank Him, they built an altar. Anytime that someone wanted to respond to God, they would build an altar. Again, that's the principle that we have here. There's nothing magical about the altars. They just represent a place where you can go, a physical place, to meet with God. 
And so Saul had never built an altar before. He had never come to the place where he went and met with God. People would just tell him what God said. Okay, sure. But he never sought God himself. He never responded to God. He never reacted to God. For two years being king, that means not even before he was king, he had never responded for God. He never sought for God. But now with this big deal as everyone's eating meat and stuff, he says, well, this is a good time to build altar. And again, this isn't really to seek for God. It's more political show. Oh, no, we messed up. We better build an altar here. We better respond so that way um, God won't take it out on us. And so he builds this altar here in front of everyone. How do you know that he's faking it? Well, notice with me the next verse. Verse number 36. And Saul said, let us go down to the Philistines by night and spoil them till the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. So he builds this altar. He doesn't use it. He just builds the altar. Everyone else is cooking their cows and eating their sheep and having, eating meat and they're filling up. And he says, all right, it's the middle of the night. We could go take them again. All right, let's go. And the people, uh, now that they're eating some, they said, do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. You're the boss. You tell us what to do. But notice this next phrase. Then said the priest, let us draw near hither to God. Hey, Saul, do you think that maybe before you go down, maybe you should pray about this? Have you been caught trying to eat a meal and then someone says, shouldn't you pray? He's about ready to go down. All right, guys, let's go. Let's take it. The priest said, you know, maybe you should talk to God. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should time out and just say, God, what do you want us to do? You know, Saul never thought this way. It never been developed in his mind. Hey, why don't we ask God? Why don't we search for God? And you're going to see that carried out for the rest of his life. He was not someone who sought for God. He just did what he just reacted. This is what I should do. This is how I feel. This is what I think is right. And he just reacted. He just moved whatever emotions told him. But he didn't seek for God and say, God, what do you want us to have to do? You understand it is so important to seek for God. We make a lot less mistakes if we took time to seek for God. For example, if Saul beforehand, before he gave that unfortunate order, do you think if he took some time to talk to God beforehand, maybe he wouldn't have made that order? And maybe there wouldn't have been any consequences? Now, it all goes to leadership. He's the one that made the mistake. And it went and fell upon the people because of his unwise actions. But he was still authority. But here we're seeing just the, the idea of Saul that he wasn't in the habit of praying before his food. Again, that's something we can illustrate. You could tell someone right away, Thanksgiving dinner, if they're used to saying the blessing or not. You could just see if someone's used to talking to God, used to responding to God. Hey, before we do that, why don't I just take some time to pray? Why don't I take some time to search the scriptures? Why don't I ask God and spend some time on it before making a decision, before reacting, before doing something? Why don't I just spend some time with God and see what he wants us to do rather than what I think is right? So what happens? Verse number 37. So now we hit something different here. There, Saul said, has stopped. Why don't we pray about this? Now we bring down to Jonathan again. And we see Jonathan's submission to authority. Jonathan's submission to authority. 
Now, remember what happened before. Saul gave an order. No one, no one could taste any food. I mean, don't even eat anything. Don't taste any food. Now, if I could pause for a second. Food was available to the people as they spoiled the Philistines. The Philistines didn't have time to pack up their lunches they had set up for them. They could have easily stopped by a Philistine tent, grabbed their piece of chicken, and let's go. And they could have eaten as they went. But unfortunately, this order came out. Jonathan went and stuck his uh, rod into the honeycomb and ate it before he knew what authority said. So it wasn't because of rebellion or disobedience. He did not disobey on purpose. But he did break the authority's rules. How is he going to respond? Or how is Saul going to respond? Notice with me in verse number 37. And Saul asked counsel of the Lord. All right, God, what do you want me to do? Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? You can almost see him getting his preacher voice. He lowers his voice, sounds holy. God, what do you want me to do? Nothing. No answer. No one's home. Dial tone. But he, God, answered him, Saul, not that day. Now, this is important note because this is going to be a long line of Saul asking God questions and God not asking, answering them back. You said, but I thought God answers him back. He does when we're seeking after him. There are plenty of times people will say a prayer, but they're not looking for God. They're looking for permission. God says, not saying anything. I'm ignoring you. And it's because there's something wrong. Well, Saul immediately says, it can't be me. It's got to be someone else. So what we're going to do, we're going to determine who it is that caused this sin. So, all right, all the people you line up over there, we're going to draw a line. And me and my son, we're going to be over here. Because it's not me, it's got to be one of you. So the idea that Jonathan's a goody two-shoe, Jonathan would never do anything wrong. So him and Jonathan are over here, the people over here, and they draw lots. Now, remember, they don't have the completed word of God. They could have just opened up the word of God if they had a completed one and found out what happened. But back then, because they don't have the completed word of God, they have five, maybe six, seven books of the Bible. That's about it. Nothing about direction, character, just some things in there. So back then, God was still allowing lots, drawing straws type thing to determine. In fact, they had the high priest there, and it's the Urim and Thurim, which is basically, as far as we can understand, is like a black rock and a white rock. And that it's a yes, it's a white rock, no for black rock type thing. And so Saul says, all right, let's find out who sinned. Everyone over there, me and Jonathan over here, all right, God, is it these sinners over here? Are they the ones that's wrong? No. What? Is it me and Jonathan? Yes. Well, it's got to be Jonathan. All right, God. All right, God, you show your perfect will now. Who is it that's wrong between me and Jonathan? Now, here we're going to hit an important principle. Because even though Saul is wrong, we're now talking about a visible uh, disobedience of authority. And you know whose side God is going to take? Authority side. Did authority make a bad rule? Yes. Was it unwise? Yes. But when it came time to standing beside authority, who does God pick? Authority. Notice what happens now. 
Um, verse number 41. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, and the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. And, Jonathan, and Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of my rod that was in my hand, and lo, I must die. Notice, he admitted what he did. He did not make excuses. He submitted to authority. Did Jonathan know the rule? No. But did he break the rule? Yes. So what he's doing is he says, I messed up. I willfully submit to your authority, even if it means I must die. I'm not going to kick. I'm not going to fight. I'm not making excuses. I'm not blaming anyone else. He submitted. Here we see the character of Jonathan. He won a great victory here. Oh, but there's King Saul. Let's see how he responds. His son, his great son, who, who just disobeyed a, a law that he wasn't even there to hear. So how's Saul going to respond? Is it going to be forgiving? Notice, if you don't mind, verse 44. And Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? The dad's trying to be very super spiritual here. He's trying to say, no, no, no. I made a law and I said, whoever does this, I don't care if it's Jonathan, my sons. If he breaks the law, he'll die. So Jonathan, you broke the law. You admitted it. You're going to die. Well, again, showing the character of Saul here. So we come to the place. Jonathan has submitted. His attitude was right. Remember that whenever authority gives you something, you either respond by submission or rebellion. He submitted even to the consequences. I submit. I messed up. I'll accept the consequences. Now authority is really wrong now. Rah, you're going to die. But I want to tell you a secret. That when you submit as unto the Lord, God will take care of you. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 45. And the people said with Saul, So Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? Wait a second. Jonathan just got, was used to give us his great victory. He went on his own, started the fight, killed 20 people. Now we've defeated the whole force. All of these armies. And, it's because of John, and you want to kill him? He said, God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there should be not one hair of his head fall on the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. And Saul said, okay, never mind. But the people rescued him. That was God taking care of it. But we see a principle here. We see a principle of how to respond even when authority is wrong. Do you know that the authority has the right to be stupid? Authority has the right to be stupid. They don't have the right to be unbiblical, illegal, or immoral. But authority has the right to be stupid. And if authority does something stupid, we still submit. We still submit. We still respond to God as unto the Lord. I, I may not be able to trust authority, but can I trust God? And you submit to him. May I give an illustration that my pastor used to use all the time? He said, submission is like this. He said, I, he says he works with ladies and he tries to encourage them. Ladies, it's like 
your, your husband driving. You can either nag him and nag him and nag him and nag him. Or you could let him drive. But the lady will say, but he's going to drive in the ditch. Then let him go in the ditch. Let him go in the ditch. Let God's responsibility is to teach authority. Your job is to submit and trust God. <laughs> That's the idea. Authority can be wrong. Authority can be stupid. But you don't have any right to rebel against authority even when it's stupid. This is the victory that Jonathan won. Is that in the midst of authority being stupid. And they gave a stupid order. He gave an unwise order. He still submitted to the authority. And God protected him. You said, is this found otherwhere in the Bible? Absolutely. The book of 1 Peter chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, speaks about how Sarah called her husband Lord or Master. Boss, you tell me what to do. And you say, well, Sarah, her husband's Abraham. I mean, wouldn't that be easy to submit to the guy who's called the friend of God? Well, what about the time that he said, hey, Sarah, I know you're 70 years old, but you're still a looker. And I'm afraid someone's going to kill me to get to you. So why don't you tell everyone that we're brother and sister instead of husband and wife? And I could see her just face palming and said, all right. And when people said, is that your husband? That's my brother. Okay, that means you're single. Let's get married. Okay. And you know what God did? He protected her from any immorality, from any consequences, and actually blessed Abraham because she submitted. You said, well, that's one incident. Well, he did it twice. He did it again. You think it would be hard for her to submit for good for nothing? What in the world are you saying? Tell everyone that you're not my husband and that we're brothers and that you're going to allow someone. They had a marriage ceremony. Can you imagine her at the altar? They're getting ready to be married. You're going to be my wife. Looking back at her husband, he's like, okay. And God protected her. Why? Because she submitted as unto the Lord, not for a stupid good for nothing husband who didn't know what he was doing. You could understand the vernacular. Authority being stupid does not give us the right to rebel. Now, it's usually at this time that when I taught classes with teenagers, they always say, what if? Usually, whenever they ask what if, it's because they're looking for a reason to rebel. And so here's a question they would say, what if, what if the government took away your Bibles? What would you do then? I say, submit. Now, what does that mean? That means, I am sorry, I cannot legally obey your order, but whatever consequences you think is necessary, I will submit to them. It means I don't go raise an army, I don't go fight them, I don't whatever else. I submit as unto the Lord and I expect God to protect me. Let God use my testimony to help others. But I submit to authority. So if your authority decides to drive in the ditch... Allow God to teach that authority how to drive the car. You just pray the whole time, God, please protect us the whole time. And allow God to do his work. That is the victory that they got. And God protected Jonathan. So we hear in this story here, Jonathan had not just one victory. He had two victories. God used him, first of all, to have victory over the Philistine army. The second victory that he had was the victory in submission to authority.
and a lesson that we could all take. That even if authority is wrong, and by the way, most of the time your authority is not as crazy as King Saul. But the purpose is, is that even if you can't trust authority, can you trust God? And submit to God and allow God to get a victory that you cannot get any other way. Can you trust God? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.